Mar Manhood is brought to you by a five-part series exploring narratives of hate and counter-hate in Alberta called Common Ground. It's created by Irfan Chaudhry, Director of the Office of Human Rights, Diversity and Equity at McEwen University, in collaboration with Iman Bukhari from the Canadian Cultural Mosaic Foundation in Calgary. It was prompted by the rise in police-reported hate crimes in Alberta and a desire to examine what can be done to improve the way we look at each other. You can find Common Grounds at mcewen.ca O-H-R-D-E, which stands for the Office of Human Rights, Diversity, and Equity. So that's again, mcewen.ca O-H-R-D-E. Or you can search for Common Ground Podcast in the podcatcher of your choice. Mar Manhood is also brought to you by the Well Endowed Podcast. On the latest episode of the Well Endowed Podcast, Chris Chang-Yang Phillips checks out the Mercer Warehouse and puts Gezim Hoxtra on the spot for some cool trivia facts. Then they meet Vegreville's own Lorax, Kevin Stewart, who talks about photography, how he sort of won the Nobel Peace Prize, and the fun he created to help protect the Aspen Parklands of Vegreville. You can check all those episodes at thewellendowedpodcast.com. On September 13th of 2018, The Athletic, a sports online publication, released an article entitled, I Cannot Stand Being Alone in My Brain. The author was NHL goaltender Robin Leonard. In it, he talked about his battle with panic attacks and suicidal ideation. Here's an example of the piece. Quote, I felt so drained both physically and mentally. Everything hurt. On my way home, I did the one thing that was common for me. I stopped to grab a beer. I went home and drank and drank. I finally woke up my wife in the middle of the night and said the five words I've never had the courage to say. I have to go away. End quote. This piece struck a nerve in a lot of people in 2018. You see, this is not new. Hockey players and athletes talking about mental health and battling with suicidal ideation, that's not new. I know many articles have been written about them. So this is not new territory for fans. Mental health has been an issue in the zeitgeist of hockey, and every year the country raises awareness with it, with its Bell Let's Talk campaign. And the fact that Leonard's piece was taken in positively is a tribute to the countless people before him that have the courage to speak up. You know, I took that first step, got help, and uh, that was life-changing for me, and that's something... uh, we got to keep uh, pushing forward. We got to, you know, end the stigma. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm not ashamed to say I'm mentally ill, uh, but that doesn't mean mentally weak. Uh. Leonard, though, he was a current player who admitted he had to be taken out of the game because of a panic attack. Also, he was battling a drinking problem and then a diagnosis of bipolar with manic phases. This is something that could have killed him, but it didn't. The NHL has had its share of issues in regards to drugs, drinking, and partying. Hell, just last week, NHL star Evgeny Kuznetsov was suspended for four years for possession of cocaine. Drinking and hockey has had a long history together, and mental health must have been as well. So Leonard, talking so openly about what had happened and his real struggles, and the shame that he felt when he reached out for help, to his wife and the NHL substance abuse program, that was something to think about for a lot of hockey parents, players, and people of the game. They really related to it. It was a wake-up call. 
Leonard thankfully continued his career with medication and by support. He signed on to play for the New York Islanders, and on November 10th of 2018, he wore a Donald Trump-inspired golly mask, which he made for Military Appreciation Night. He only wore it for 16 minutes. This gesture, though, however long he wore it, as you can believe, also struck a nerve. Leonard was unapologetic. As the Buffalo News reported, quote, I admired a lot of things about the guy, Leonard said. You know what? I don't like a lot of things too. But I also recognize we're all humans. People are looking for this perfect world type human being. Robots, I guess, to rule. You know what? We're all flawed. To get in the limelight and being called all these type of things, which he doesn't have to do, inspired me. I'm not going to apologize for that. End quote. Now, as a person who follows hockey, like myself, I personally know of many conservative-leaning views in its players, people, and organizations. It's a sport that is, right now, of people of bigger means. It's expensive to play, and that usually means that you'll have more conservative views. But Trump? I mean, that's a different story. Not only that, this seems at odds to Leonard's view on mental health. Trump is a man who perpetuates stigma. He's a man who, in many people's eyes, is an enemy to the disenfranchised. These are the people who get affected by mental health the most. This doesn't make sense. And not only that, this seems like it invalidates everything Leonard has talked about before, right? So, how far do we seek complexity in humans? What do we forgive? How do we separate the words from the person? This is Modern Manhood. Our Manhood is brought to you by Next Gen Men and the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by Kiwi. If you want to support Next Gen Men in redefining and undefining what it means to be a man, you can become a Patreon like these people. Michael Steele, Veronica Illich, Zach Grosh. Your contributions support the promotion of positive masculinities, healthy relationships, and gender equity among the next generation of men. And you can too at patreon.com slash nextgenmen. read the book, The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, in a phase of my life where I was trying my best to discover who I really was. As a man, as a boyfriend, and most importantly, as a Latino. It wasn't that long ago, actually. I still remember where I bought the book. It was at the Wee Book Inn in White Ave. It cost $10.75, because it's a popularly used book. This is how much I revere this book. The way that it was written with almost a rebellious nature, inspired me as a Latino. It was brave enough to throw in a bunch of Spanish words and not have to explain what they mean. It was showing what Latin culture in the Western world was really like without delving too much into, you know, kind of a West Side Story-like stereotype. It wrote footnotes in the middle of the chapter that were so long that they were pages onto themselves. Yet the book dare you not to read them. And the book always won. It was a great book. It's one of my favorites, one of the best. And it was written by this fiery Latino, Juno Diaz. Juno Diaz, who outside of his works would talk about diversity in books, he would talk about how important real representation was. He would mention how history was written through a white man's perspective. I mean, this guy would say shit like, and this is a quote, 
motherfuckers will read a book that's one-third elvish, but put two sentences in Spanish, and they, white people, think we're taking over, end quote. He said that. He really did. I learned to write from women writers, there's no question. I mean, whether we're talking about Alice Walker, or we're talking Maxine Hong Kingston, we're talking Leslie Marmon Silko, we're talking Christina Garcia. Um, I think women writers had an enormous impact. Uh, um, uh, Mary Gates skills, Mary Gates skills was like huge for me. I mean, um, Jane Ann Phillips. I, I mean, they were an enormous. Was, I, had to, I was interested in a lot of the things they were interested in. But listen, I, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of stress on intimacy. And if you want to learn to write intimacy, you look everywhere. And listen, I'm not saying that uh, it's deterministic that only women write about intimacy, but certainly boys don't write about it well. Juno Diaz wanted me to talk more Spanish. He wanted me to love my heritage. And he wanted me to say, fuck you to anybody who thought differently. I admire the shit out of Juno Diaz. It was the same feeling I had when I heard of Michael Kimmel. Because around the same time that I was falling in love with Oscar Wilde, I was going in deep with learning about masculinity and gender research. And if you ever delve deep into that, you will run into Michael Kimmel. Mostly because you run into a passage that says, quote, Feminism expects a man to be ethical, emotionally present, and accountable to his values and his actions with women, as well as with other men. Feminism loves men enough to expect them to act more honorably and actually believes them capable of doing so. Michael Kimmel. Now Kimmel, the writer of books like Guyland and the seminal, often quoted, Angry White Men, was a person I felt confident in explaining the world to me. I mean, you would see him on TV, in your favorite podcast, talking in his New York accent about his thoughts around masculinity. I felt like he understood it better than anyone else. He would talk about, you know, white men and violence in a way that absolutely made sense, but also never made you feel like you were blaming anybody. I mean, he got it. Like, he got it deep. Well, first, it's important to engage men to support gender equality because what we know is that we cannot fully empower women and girls unless we engage boys and men. There's never been a reform that women wanted that didn't require men's support. So we know that we need to do that. Now, why we should do that is because gender equality is right. It's fair. It's just. It's the way we are supposed to do things. It's democratic. But more than that, I believe that men are stakeholders in the effort for gender equality, that men are, will actually benefit, that it's not a win-lose, that it's not a he versus she, but rather it's in men's interest. What these two people have in common, besides their outward speeches about feminism and written things that I love, is that they both, in the last year, were canceled. I mean, I don't know if they're still canceled. But let's just say that both of them did some things that I found absolutely distasteful. On April 9th, 2018, Juno Diaz penned an essay to The New Yorker, where he revealed that he was raped as a child. Diaz was a victim of a terrible childhood trauma, something that is horrendous, but it's all too frequent. That in itself is not the problem with Juno Diaz, but it paints what happened next. Because none of these things happen in a vacuum. A month after that essay was written, Cincy Clemens, professor and fellow writer, revealed that Diaz forcibly tried to kiss her and wondered out loud how many other people he has done this to. 
After Clement's revelations, other women came out to say that Diaz was verbally abusive to them. Diaz admitted responsibility for his actions and connected it to his past as a child rape survivor. I believe both of them, Clemens and Diaz. Trauma begets trauma. Diaz even spoke of this himself when he said, quote, I think the average guy thinks that they're pro-women just because they think they're a nice guy and someone has told them that they're awesome, but the truth is far from it. He said that's before anything happened with him. But it's ironic. Yet it doesn't forgive what Diaz has done. And it doesn't help that nagging feeling I have every time I see Oscar Wow on my bookshelf. More on that a little later. Michael Kimmel, the stalwart women's rights champion, and in a similar fashion to Diaz, was accused of using his power as a head of a university department to ask for sexual favors. And following that reveal, Bethany Costin accused Kimmel of sexist behavior, such as giving paid work to male students while women were expected to work for free. Costin also accused Kimmel of homophobic and transphobic attitudes, and a lack of respect for anyone but cisgendered heterosexual men. Before this, Kimmel was one of the few outspoken activists of gender and masculinity that I admired. And again, I asked myself, what do I do with the words and the knowledge that Kimmel and Diaz is showing in me? What do I do with this feeling of unease that I have? There's always a couple of people in our life that maybe in our minds are uncantonable. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. You know, the ones that you absolutely think there's no way these people will do anything wrong. Maybe it's your favorite writer. Maybe it's the people that you hear speak and every word hits you like your favorite song. Maybe it's someone who you think shares your values and your ethics in a way that you wish you could do yourself. You admire them. And maybe because of this affection, there's a deep sense of love there. I don't know if anyone that this hasn't happened to. And I don't know why we do it. I hesitate to call it human nature because I haven't studied it enough to label it as such. It's just an assumption I carry. But I'm willing to hear something else if someone has a better idea. And I believe because of this love, we put these people in higher and higher pedestals. So it's hard when we see them fall. So much so would that we don't want to see it happen. Because if they fall, what does that say about us? What are our aspirations? Who are our role models? Where is my North Star? A couple of weeks ago, I had a great chat with Carl from the Fourth Line Podcast, the hockey podcast from the Alberta Podcast Network. And most importantly, he's a friend of mine. We talked about Robin Leonard, the goalie I mentioned in the intro. Denichel hasn't been shy from dipping their toes into issues around mental health. Like I know I've seen, Robin Leonard's not the first one that I've seen talking about this. I remember people like Corey Hirsch has talked about this and um, other people have actually talked about mental health being uh, something that is important. Um, and so, but, but I feel like Robin Leonard's story has really touched a, not a nerve, but touched a, like a, like a pulse. Uh, within a lot of people. Was that something that when you first saw, when you first heard this, this is the, this is what attracted you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm incredibly happy for him as a person. Um, and then also the fact that he's, you know, used this to talk about it. He's, 
I don't begrudge anyone in, in saying I'm proud of him for coming out and talking about it. I also don't hold it against anyone who chooses not to do that. Right. Um, but I am incredibly, you know, pleased to see him talking about it. Um, the fact that he feels strong enough to do that at this point in time, to take that step and come out and talk about it, uh, use his story to help other people. To me, Robin Leonard was easy to dismiss as another person who could talk the talk, but not walk the walk. At the same time, Leonard is in a long line of people who are giving mental health an honest and vulnerable place in the cultural conversation. So should I be giving Leonard such a hard time about this? Everyone kind of brushed that off, I felt. Like, I totally understand what you're saying about how, um, you know, people are complex and people have, like, their different things uh, in and out. Like, they, they might like something, they might not like something that you don't like, which is totally fine and fair. Like, people have the capacity to do that. Uh, but at the same time, when Robin Leonard was given a pedestal um, and not only and given an award... And no one seemed to like respond to say like, well, he's also like a Donald Trump fan, like, which is understandable. He likes, you know, he really appreciates the things that he talked about around regards to mental health. At the same time, this is, this is his other truth too. Everyone just kind of like brushed that outside. Um, and that to me is kind of a problem too, right? Like, I mean, if we want to see the full person, we should see the full person. Yeah, but part of why I have less issue with it is he didn't stand up there and also tout how great Donald Trump was during his speech. True. Like true, if true. he had a gun up there and said, uh, mental health is important, take care of your mental health and also uh, go Donnie. <laughs> let's, let's win it in 2020. Right. To be like, eh, maybe pump the brakes a little bit, Robin. Right. Right. But he stood up there and talked about mental health mm-hmm. and then to then turn around and, and say that now while, while going through this, there's there, you know, I can think of a number of things where it's like, well, there, there is a line of like, okay, there's this, you know, blind spot in your life that you need to take care of. There's certain things that I think it, there is a line that's crossed, but uh, for me, I just, I think I, I choose to focus on the positive that he is doing with his story, with his experiences mm-hmm. and not focusing on the negatives because if, and this is the way that I like to, to handle all kinds of things. Um, I just find like being positive about the positive things leads to a way better uh, end result than being negative about the negative things, especially when there's something positive right there. You know, right. shining the light on those things instead of magnifying the negativeness. Yeah, I agree with you there. I totally agree with you there. A fallacy in the media sometimes is that it seems very dichotomous. Like it's either this or that. It's either black or white. You're either up or down. Like you're left or right. Like it, there's no like, well, I like this thing, but I also like this thing. And I, I could see myself in the middle of it. Like we don't talk about a spectrum of things. We just talk about on and off. And yeah, like um, in, in the media, there's no such thing as a person who's like a fiscal conservative and a social liberal like that doesn't exactly. exist in media. that person like is, a, is apparently non-existent and i know yeah. <laughs> dozens of them out there oh yeah 100 percent. me too right like it's it is something that uh we're not really we don't talk about that enough we don't talk about like the the complexity of how people are and well specifically around masculinity um how complex 
men can be. And, and someone like Robin Leonard is a complex man. And I appreciate that about him. And I also appreciate the fact that he spoke uh, out about his own mental health issue. And it's a very vulnerable thing to do. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, I, I think sometimes hockey uh, sheds a blind eye to these things sometimes, especially around politics, which I mean, to their, I, I understand how risk averse that can be. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, a, it's a weird double standard sometimes I feel. Um, yeah. I mean, like if the demographics of people who would support, let's say in general, the Republican party, right. uh, fall in line with a lot of NHL players. Oh, hundred percent. Right? Yeah. So that's, like, that's the hidden thing too. A lot of, a lot of NHLers and NHL players are conservative are, are they like, they align more to the right than they do to the left. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, and you know, that's the thing that I'm not, I'm no longer surprised with, but even still, right. The amount of, there are players in the league that refuse. I mean, we saw Tim Thomas refuse to go to the white house when Obama was in. Yep. And now we see people refusing to go to the white house with Donald Trump and entire teams refusing to go, not just, uh, you know, obviously the Pittsburgh penguins have gone uh, when he was there. Yeah. Uh, However, you know, there, there was a, a number of Washington capitals that were like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not yeah. doing that. That's yeah. not a thing I'm doing. So, yeah. and yeah. and some of them are pretty outspoken, right? Braden Holpe is a big, uh, yep, he is speaker outer when it comes to things. You know, he's a big part of the Pride Parade. Yes, in Washington, he's always out there. He's speaking about that. Uh, he's vocal when it comes to not being a part of those things. And so, there are people on both sides. Mm-hmm. And yes. if if you spend your time on social media listening to what people want. Uh, you're going to end up in a, a dark and sad place. <laughs> but if you actually talk to people face-to-face and experience it, um, that's where you actually get like, for the most part, I, I've had very genuine conversations and things online, but um, that's where you, where you actually get it when you right. talk to people, when you you know shake their hands, see their, you know, smile, laugh together. Yeah, that's where you get it. That's very true. I also wonder if anyone has the same feelings of sympathy for Diaz or Kimmel. Two people I profoundly respect and whose work I value dearly. So I wanted to talk about it some more. So I invited Veronica Illich, who you have heard on this podcast before, to go a little deep into it. Offer you so much. Yeah. Um, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's true. Like the, a lot of people that talk about gender specifically, a, a lot of them I found out they're are very turfy. Ugh. But does that invalidate what they've said already? So disappointing. I mean. You're going to have to take the things that are good from what they've done, but also call them out on the stuff that's not working or that's harming others, right? So um, I think you can kind of do both. (laughs) You can be like, okay, this stuff was really good. We're not going to throw out your book because a lot of it was still really good. However, <laughs> we're going to highlight all the shit that sucks. Yeah, I guess that's, a, that's like, my listen. question is like, what, what, what do we do moving forward, right? Like, what mm-hmm. is the, I think of like Michael Kimmel, for example, oh. like, and he has written so many good books about masculinity and really ones that you probably have one, right? Yeah. yeah, I have one too. It's yeah. sitting in my shelf, but like, I know what he has done and I know a lot of people have like, written them out of like academia now because of what he has done and you know he's used his power to um, manipulate and and use you know specifically with women um 
And so it's like, it's an affront to everything that he's talked about. Yeah, and I'm super mad at him. Yeah. Like, how dare he? Yeah. Like, honestly. Yeah. <gasps> out of him and of all people, right? It's right. Like, it's like, like, it's like disappointing. Did yeah. you not study this forever? Yeah. Why, <laughs> why'd you decide to go ahead and be an asshole? But. Right. And a lot of people are saying, like, I kind of understand this too. It's like, okay, well, and I think this is the same thing with Michael Jackson thing. Coming back to that. Like Michael, what Michael Kimmel has written and has done to the gender uh, thought process has been really well done, and then we can't ignore all of that. Um, and also, people are saying, "Well, there's so many worse people that we really need to get after than Michael Kimmel. Like he can, you know, it's like it's not that he's fine what he did, but like let's be easy on him." Mm. I'm all. What do you think about that? I don't know. I feel like we should hold him as accountable as anyone else. Because he's... Do you think we hold them more accountable because of what he's said? Than well, them? yeah. I mean, right? Like, either as accountable or f- fucking more. Because we're like, dude, why are you being a hypocrite? <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> you're like, violence against women is a problem. And then you commit violence against women. And we're like, dude. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, like, I think you can definitely still hold somebody accountable and not throw out all their work. I'm, I mean, it depends how useful that work is. Right? Like... Again, I have no problem never listening to R. Kelly again in my life. That's 100% fine <laughs> Yeah, with that's me. the thing. It's just like, well, right? you know, whatever. Not I'm not going really to listen to Ignition again. To like, whatever. I don't, it's not going to be a hurtful thing to my life. Right. But, like, not being able to quote Michael Kimmel might be something that yeah. might be hard to do because yeah. he has said so many cool images interesting and important things i also like not joking i'm a big nerd and have read my gender textbook from my third year of university multiple times and used it in multiple papers and a lot of the information that i now know about feminism and gender and like anything related is like probably from that book and it's not like i can take it out of my head either right right so i'm like it's now integrated into my brain he taught me a lot i'm not gonna like forget what he taught me right 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 yeah. In a lot of ways, right? So Exactly. Like, I don't even know what, what I what is like my thought or what is like something I learned from that book when I like I still use I still reference that book. Right. So, exactly. Exactly. So here's how I see it. There's some ways to approach this and none of them are easy. We have our boundaries of our ethics and our values, and once we know our boundaries, we can create hard lines of anyone who crosses that. I don't blame anyone who once loved a person and has had to dump them from their lives because of what they did, who crossed their ethics and values. We can also say the work, the art, whatever, it's not the person, it's an expression of the person. And whatever that piece is, after it's been released, it's a part of us, it's part of the public. It's not owned by the artist itself, you know, in a contextual way, of course. Um, What would happen, for example, if like, I don't know. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna pick on you for a bit. Yeah, yeah. If like J.K. Rowling <gasps> was came out as like a major racist or something, or like was oh like a Trump supporter or something. Oh my like god. That. <laughs> I mean, I feel very fortunate that I know that she's the best and actually like super cool and supports a lot of great initiatives. Yeah, she does. And like donates so much money to charity yeah, 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 yeah. and calls out bigots online. She's like pretty fierce. Yeah. Um, I'm just making it a yeah. hypothetical. If, like if somebody who's like, you're like, you're like yeah. someone I really, someone that really I love. love. Yeah. Oh, that would be so heartbreaking. I would feel super let down. 
And yeah, it would be super hard for me because I have a giant Harry Potter tattoo. Yeah, on I know. My leg, that's, so. that's, that's why I picked it because I'm just like, I know that you have a, a, a Harry Potter tattoo. What do I do? <laughs> Like, do you get that like, removed? Or? I think I'd have, like, a big identity crisis. Like, I don't even know, because Harry Potter was, like, so much of my childhood. Yeah. It was super important to me. Yeah, I don't even know what I would do. So, like, for would you... Because I know that Harry Potter was a big deal to you, and it's just, I love Harry Potter, too. Um, would that decrease your uh, love of those books? I mean, it would definitely taint it, for sure. Um, would you and, read it differently? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and it would feel like really weird considering like the messaging of the books, right? Is like about acceptance and inclusion, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it would it would seem really, again, like grossly like hypocritical and just like wrong, and yeah, it would really suck. I don't know, like it would it would be, it would probably be hard to read them again because you would be thinking the whole time about like oh but they did this awful thing. Yeah. Right? Like, that would be really, really hard. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe, yeah, maybe that would be it. But, yeah, what do you do about the tattoo? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. But it's the thing. Like, would you reconcile and say, like, well, I still love the Harry Potter books and they still had a big influence in my life and, like, J.K. Rowling is not going to stop me from that. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, that is not... That is beyond her. Yeah. I mean, I some points perhaps art takes on a life of its own kind of separate from the creator but then you also don't want to be like putting more money in the pocket of someone that you think is really grossly unethical too mm-hmm. so yeah it might stop like future purchases yeah you wouldn't be going to the, right? the whatever like the new movies that exactly. she's writing <laughs> they're, they're quite fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know that's a thing right oh but johnny depp's in them so that's another thing that's another right thing. and You're she totally actually right. She actually um, defended him. Yeah, she was like, "No, no, no, he can still be in the movies." And I'm like, "Yeah, whoa, interesting right. choice." Right yeah, so actually, so, something She's a to bring up. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There's something because yeah, that's to me. I was like, "Why would you keep him in there?" She's like, got a little bit of like white feminism to him. To her, mm, do you know what I mean? Like mm. that kind of like like everything yeah we're gonna totally fight against bigots and stuff like that but if they're involved and i like them then they're cool yeah maybe that is the case Ugh, jk don't let me down girl (laughs) so frustrating and i guess that's where like people need to decide like what where where do you draw lines i Mm -hmm. guess and that's Mm -hmm. like you know with like the Jeffrey Epstein's and R. Kelly's of the world, you're like, nah, that's pretty easy. It's like, pretty you, easy. You cross the line it's pretty easy. so yeah. long ago. Yeah. I don't think you see it anymore. Yeah, exactly. And there's like no excuse to be like liking any of those two people, right? right? <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. like, what did you even contribute? Like, yeah, exactly. I don't even know. Like, okay, sorry to anyone who likes R. Kelly's music, I guess. But like, what? Like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> sorry. I, I totally agree with you. I feel like there's a there's a certain line, but like Michael Jackson's crossed that line. Too, oh yeah, right? for sure. And I and I know it's going to be hard. For, I mean, it might be easier for somebody like myself. At the same time, I still love like like the Thrill albums and and some of the albums that he's done. But at the same time, it's like if someone said to me, you know what? Like, I feel like as a society, we're going to cancel Michael Jackson, and I would be like, okay, fine, we're, we'll just do it. Let's, do it. <laughs> let's yeah. make it happen. I mean, but, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, there's so many good artists out there. It's, like, super, I don't know. It's, like, 
there's there's so many people that you could listen to and, and enjoy like you can get rid of problematic ones and you're not going to be left with like no music you know yeah but then like something like harry potter is like this massive worldwide phenomenon you're like there's nothing that replaces and I, this for and me. i think that's the thing <laughs> there's nothing that replaces this for me right mm. i think that's like like if i told my dad that like listen as a society it's pretty bad to listen to the beatles now like you can't do it I think my dad would have a major, major problem with that. Mm. Like, and he's a pretty progressive guy and he, he understands like abuse and all that stuff. But if he, and John Lennon was a problematic person, but at the same time, like society hasn't been like, let's just cancel the Beatles. Um, but if that were to happen and would have been like, it's uncouth for you to listen to the Beatles now because he has such an emotional connection to the Beatles that it would be an issue for him. Mm. Same thing with me and, like, Radiohead, right? Like, if, if Tom York came out and did, like, this crazy bunch of abuse, I, it would be tough. It would be tough. It would be very tough for me to separate myself from Radiohead. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was the same thing with, like, you and Harry Potter, right? Like, it yeah. would be very tough for me to, like, for you to, like, separate yourself from Harry Potter. You know, there's, like, there's literally millions of books oh, out yeah. there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, I guess it's, yeah, it's, it's the connections people have to those things, I suppose, that makes it so hard for them to let them go. Because, yeah, again, like similar to Michael Kimmel's books and his research, it's like that shit's like in my head. Yeah. It's like ingrained in there. It's now like part of what I know. Yeah. And Harry Potter, like, <laughs> I've read those books a lot. It is like part of. Yeah what i know it's part of, your, it's part of who i am it's I guess, exactly right? say. it's part of your identity right yeah so i know it really it really really sucks when you're like oh this creator let me down or like this person let me down. i don't know maybe it's a little of both we're struggling in the media consuming society right now to see people as complex things and understanding that if we reject what people do it doesn't mean we reject everything about that person including what they produce mean (laughs) it sucks to say this but everyone is problematic but there's also levels to that and to be honest even those levels are personal to us what is unforgivable to one may be tolerable to others i mean i know that sucks to say because what's tolerable to some is some horrendous shit we're living in a world where people are actively denying climate change accepting neo-nazis and wondering the balance of child abuse versus listening to Thriller. Even saying that out loud sounds absurd, but it's the truth. Sometimes what we struggle with seems absolutely easy for others to call. Yet we cannot escape the complexity of human life and the choices that we make. To me, I felt like it was a little bit a weird double, double standard that he has around like he's really talking about his own mental health and then he kind of supports this man who maybe is not the best mental health spokesperson so to me that's like that was weird to me and i i, I didn't really like that yeah i mean so you know i'm i'm aware i don't know everyone's political views but i know that uh it was brought up by some when he won um the fact of you know this including myself. I will cut myself out on that one too. Yes. Um, (laughs) And while I'm not here to tell anyone who they should or should not uh, stand with politically, what I, what I believe is that um, let's, let's say 
hypothetically, you know, yeah, not hypothetically, you you just spoke against Donald Trump. Yeah, I think let let's assume you know um, I'm not well not not assume I'm not a huge fan of him either. There's a lot of things of his that I don't agree with, mm-hmm. and so in that um, I said okay, there's things that Robin Lehner thinks that are okay, or that uh, he appreciates that I don't also agree with. Right, but I'm not ready to throw out the good things that Robin Lehner does because of everything else that he's done. This isn't an award on like being the best person, right? It, it's yeah. overcoming something. And sure, Robin Lehner could be a better person. I could be a better person. You could be a better person. There are areas yeah. where all of us have blind spots. Absolutely. There are areas where all of us have uh, things that we need to fix and don't care to, don't want to, all of those things. And so I look at it and I'm like, yeah, sure. He likes someone that I disagree with. Cool. There's, you know what? There's a lot of people in my life that I like that are Detroit Red Wings fans. <laughs> Including your co-host. Yeah, I, got, I actually have a shockingly large amount of them. I, I know and talk to people from Edmonton. Like that's another oh, thing that I do. Shit. So. <laughs> that's terrible. But you um, know what? We put those things past them and I see the good that they have in their lives uh, and we carry on from there. Coming back to DS and Kimmel and Leonard. To me, it was much easier to dismiss Robin Leonard because I have no deep emotional attachment to him or the Sabres or the Islanders or the Blackhawks. I have a strong feeling about hockey players being very milky toast in their activism. And their Leonard situation, to me, was just showing those stripes. I don't know if this is going to be unpopular opinion, but maybe we can't always throw people in the garbage. Sometimes we have to recycle them. Right? Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. give them a chance to improve and actually do get better, right? Like, yeah. like I don't know what happened with Aziz and whether or not, like, post-apology Aziz Ansari actually, like, is now, like, hey, I figured out I made a mistake and I am genuinely better and trying to be better now. Yeah. And like, Have you seen his new special? No, I haven't. Okay. Does he address it in there? He does. Well, there you go. Like, yeah. I'm like, hopefully that's, like, him trying to make real steps towards being like an accountable and like better person like recycled like we're like okay cool you were doing some stuff before now you're actually trying to be better like that that's that's a good thing and i guess people kind of need to be allowed to be able to do that if not they're not going to get better no i guess right um he did well i think and i can't speak to this because I'm not a woman and like, I feel like that's the voice that's important to me. Um, At the same time saying that, like I can sensing it from the outside, his apology was way more sincere and way more like I have taken the time to actually think about this than like Lucy case apology. mm -hmm. Like when he did in the special for a C's, it was the first thing he talked about. Like he didn't make any jokes. He was just like, we're going to talk about this. And this is the first thing we're going to talk about. And he mentioned how he's like, you know, I, I took time and I learned and I realized that I was doing some harm that I didn't know. But like I took time to actually think about it and and think about what the actions that I did. And I really think that I'm in a better place now than it was before. And it basically kind of was like 
she's like, I'm a little thankful that that happened because I didn't know that was going on. Mm-hmm. So um, I felt genuine and it felt like this wasn't a joke. I'm not going to take this as a joke. Mm-hmm. I'm going to actually make this serious. And it was the first thing he mentioned. He didn't skim around it or anything like that. So and also like it felt like like from what when that happened, like we didn't hear anything about a season sorry until like maybe a few months ago and then he started doing coming back. So it's like I can tell that it wasn't like Louis C. K. was like, I'm just ready to go. Like people stop stop canceling me because I, I'm ready to roll. But that season's like, oh you know, I, it feels to me from the outside that he actually took the time to do it. But I don't know. At the same time, like, I'm not the person he hurt, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, I I also have, like, I have issues of how that thing went down to, like, the way it was written and, like, the the way it was done, like, journalistically was kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a schmozzle. But at the same time, if, I think if, if especially, like, like women specifically were, were to accept that, then I'll be cool with you accept that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, if, if women were like, you know what? You're going to give Louis C.K. a pass. Like, there was a majority of, like, this, which I know that's not going to happen. But, like, I'm just saying, like, if there was, like, a majority of people being like, you know what? That's, that's it's fine. We can forgive Louis and recycle this person. Then I'm cool with that now. Hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess everyone's going to look at it and be like, okay, how far did they cross a line for me? And how... Like, who do they hurt, too? Yeah. Like, what is, where's the harm? Yeah. Like, exactly like where's the harm how fucking severe because yeah like it obviously like the louis ck's of the world are like nothing compared to the jeffrey epstein's of the world absolutely harm that they do so yeah we can we can clearly kind of draw draw those lines i think um and then yeah it's going to be important like how genuine is their apology and how what do they do next? Yeah. Because, like, are they actually changed? Because if you fuck up multiple times, we're going to start to think you uh, didn't really learn anything or yeah. aren't really apologizing or are only mad that you got caught or whatever. Yeah. Like, those kinds of things. And, yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> no, I get it. Really, I hear you. really tired of that. Yeah, I would imagine. I totally imagine. But Diaz and Kimmel... That really hurt me. Saying that it's nothing to the pain that those people who had been abused by Diaz and Kimmel had have to deal with. Still, it's with me. And I don't know what to do with those books yet. Do I hang on to them? I don't know. I still haven't decided. So maybe today, I'll leave Modern Manhood hanging with a question and not an answer. I'm sorry to do that to you. But that's life. All episodes of Modern Manhood are archived at modernmanhood.org. Or you can find me at Modern Man Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. Or you can find Modern Manhood wherever you get your awesome podcasts. My name is Herman Vijegas, and we'll see you next time on Modern Manhood.